T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. I am so excited for my next guest. Of course, uh, it has been done now, and I'll tell you all about that. It has a. It has been a turbulent few years for the Minneapolis Police Department. A large number of officers have left a department that continues to be scrutinized, even to the point of the ongoing federal investigation for its practices and procedures. Now, this is the situation that Brian O'Hara walks into. The former deputy mayor and police captain of Newark, New Jersey, has the unviable task of overseeing MPD's culture change, restaffing the ranks, and most importantly, bettering the relationship with the city as a whole. The new chief of the Minneapolis Police Department is gracious enough to join us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Welcome, sir. How are you? Hi, Jalen. Thank you for having me. It is, tr- it is just a pleasure. How are you uh, dealing with the weather and the people and all there okay. is to know about Minneapolis? Well, the weather, uh, the weather was doing great the first few weeks I was here. It was, felt like it was <laughs> 70 degrees every day, then all of a sudden just took a turn. So I am adjusting, that's for sure. Keep all of a sudden in mind. It, it happens often, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was reading about the Minneapolis. I was reading about the Minneapolis Police Department, and it is the primary law enforcement agency here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We know that. It is also the largest police department in Minnesota, founded in 1867, and it is the second oldest police department, uh, only after St. Paul's uh, Department that was formed in 1854. Now, police who in turn reports to the chief, um, I'm sorry, the assistant chief of police, who in turn reports to the chief, really surprised me when I was reading this online. I don't know why um, they wouldn't go directly to you. How are you going to look at that um, now that you are the police chief here in Minneapolis? Well, thank you. I mean, it all kind of works through the chain of command. So individual police officers report to sergeants who then report to lieutenants and so on. So uh, it's, it's a very structured uh, chain of command so that uh, the idea behind it is essentially each person within the organization has only one person that they have to report to. Well, that's good. The city is also divided into five precincts, which I didn't know that before I read this, with 800 sworn officers. Now, many of the articles I've been reading, the numbers change. Is it 800 sworn in officers right now? No, I mean, probably before the pandemic, it was uh, around 900 officers. But right. no, it's 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 below 600 now. So hundreds of people have left. Uh, there's been a struggle, uh, you know, since the uh, the uprising, civil unrest. There's been a struggle to replenish the length, the ranks. 
Uh, there's been a struggle uh, to change perceptions here uh, among people to get people willing uh, to come on board and, and bring the city and the department forward and be a part of the change that we want to see. Yes, and we are looking forward to that, sir. So may I ask, what what would you say you are now bringing to the Minnesota, to the Minneapolis um, Police Department that we did not have before you arrived? Sure. Well, I mean, the one thing, obviously I'm from Newark, so um, I think there's two things that are most important to the people who are here that are very relevant to the experiences that I've lived through. And that's Newark is a city that's known historically for problems uh, around police community relations, you know, for Mm -hmm. decades and also for decades, serious issues around gun violence. And I think those are the two priorities that I think everyone would kind of universally agree uh, are serious issues here in our city. And, and, you know, the reality is today, Newark is not the same place it was five years, let alone 10 years ago, uh, in terms of either one of those issues. So having had the experience of leading police reform, leading a federal consent decree in Newark, uh, leading significant reductions around gun violence and serious street crime, I think that's stuff that's directly applicable uh, to the people's experience here in Minneapolis. I mean, we expect that, sir, um, and I, I understand that. I guess my question then is, what will be some of the changes to the public safety systems? To me, what is happening with police, what is happening with the violence in North Minneapolis, specifically where I live, um, really is um, sad to hear. But I know that there, um, the, gov- the mayor has been trying desperately to make changes in this area. And if we're going to make changes in making sure that we um, go after those that are being violent, we also have to go after the public safety um, uh, amendments and trying to figure out what is it that we need in order to make sure that public safety systems continue to exist. That's right. That's right. Well, certainly we can't have public safety without the public, right? So law enforcement is a collaborative effort. um, And to the extent that we're doing actual law enforcement, we want to collaborate with all of the other federal, state, county partners that we have to engage in that effort. Uh, an example of that was this this past Friday night. Uh, I addressed a roll call in North Minneapolis where we then uh, initiated a focused enforcement uh, effort that uh, w- within an hour after that, there were seven illegal guns recovered uh, from the streets in North Minneapolis, a total of 23 for the night citywide. Uh, and that's those are the efforts that we need to do collaboratively to um, obviously deal with the situation that we have hundreds of fewer officers that we had before, but also to focus precisely on that really small percentage of, of people in the community who, who are causing the most harm, who are pu- out there pulling triggers uh, and, and, and also at risk for becoming victims of violence themselves. But additionally, finding ways to partner with community uh, to ensure that we're community informed in the strategies that we adopt uh, and also uh, help and support community based uh, violence prevention programs as well. You know, when you were um, in Newark, I believe you became chief or, no, I'm sorry, officer, police officer Mm -hmm. in 2001, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that time, that particular uh, police um, force used excessive force as well, right? And so here in the Twin Cities, our um, MPS initially, uh, Minneapolis Police Department, forgive me, uh, we've had those same challenges over the years. And I'm, I'm wondering, sure. now that you've come from a place with that same thing that we have had here, how do you correct it here? Well, certainly uh, these things don't change overnight. 
Uh, and I was just fortunate that I was able to rise through the ranks in Newark uh, to various supervisory positions uh, and to be in a position to actually, you know, cultivate behaviors that community want to see that 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 re- represent community values. And I think that's exactly what we need to do here. I think it's something that not one person can change in terms of culture, but I think it's something uh, that the chief him, himself needs to leave, uh, needs to lead, as well as the uh, the leadership of the agency. And I think the bottom line is it's something we have to do every single day to ensure that we are lifting up the behaviors that we want to see uh, when officers are doing the things that reflect the values of community. And it's also something that we have to show that there are immediate consequences uh, when some officers step outside the norms and the values that communities expect to see. I have read so much about um, police chief all over the country. Um, I've been very interested in it for many years. And I must say, um, unfortunately, we do hear the same story that we have heard mm-hmm. here in the Twin Cities and the great state of Minnesota. We've heard it in some of the major cities around the country. And it feels mm-hmm. as though it never is solved it's never solved. Yeah. Usually that, that police department, uh, police chief ends up either resigning or moving on to something mm-hmm. else or quitting, you name it. And I don't understand how we're ever going to get to peace if we can't even yeah. seem to keep um, the, the, the leadership that could possibly solve this problem. Yes. Well, I do think that um, the essence of it is we will never be in a place where it is over, right? I think there is always going to be work to be done. Uh, However, I think we need to ensure that we are doing the things that we need to do uh, to be supportive so that there's processes in place that that provide a check on the system. Uh, And we have to be effective when we are checking officers' behaviors if we actually want to arrive in a place where we have a true sense of accountability. But it's not something that will ever be done. I mean, I think the essence of it is it's work that continues indefinitely. My goodness, I didn't expect to hear that. But I will say that I was excited to read about the street team. Can you tell me more about that? And will it be implemented here? Sure. Well, um, the North Community Street Team is something that started uh, uh, several years ago now. Uh, a friend of mine, Akila Sherills, who, who was a part of the initial truce uh, in the Jordan Downs housing projects in Watts in L.A., uh, you know, years ago. Uh, and, and it's something we started uh, to have a community-based uh, approach to public safety, uh, to address uh, gun violence as a public, uh, as a, as a public health problem. Uh, and it's something that was initially, uh, you know, kind of difficult for police officers and prosecutors and, and, and tr- people with traditional law enforcement ideas, uh, you know, to accept. But it's something that expanded into many different areas uh, in terms of involving community, having town hall meetings for, for public safety concerns for community, uh, as well as trying to help ensure, you know, safe passage and things like that for, for children going to school. So I know there's a number of programs here, like we push for peace and other groups that are community-based uh, violence pre- prevention programs. Uh, and I know there's a lot of promise here, and, and I'm 100% in in terms of supporting those groups. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's important for people to realize, like, those groups are not here to be an arm of law enforcement. 
they they provide a means to help uh, diffuse uh, and resolve conflicts in, in in ways that police are just simply not capable to responding to. But I think it's very important that we support that as law enforcement because we we both have the same end goal in mind, and that's to save lives and have fewer victims uh, of violence. Before you became the chief, the new Minneapolis police chief, of course, there were questions about who is he, where is he from, who's going to be the one to get the, and if we're going to get someone, then we got to make sure that we pay them well so they they will be willing to accept the job, and of yeah. course, the fee really increased, and I'm curious to know, then did they also, did the Minneapolis Police Department here, um, have they increased the police officers' salaries? So, uh, there was a my understanding is the the union cro- contract had a normal increase in their salaries, and I believe the contract is expiring again uh, the end of the year. However, I do think there is a gap um, in terms of the the uh, appointed leadership. I don't believe that there has yet been a correction in the salaries of the appointed uh, leadership of the agency, the, the folks who are commanders, inspectors, and chiefs, the people who don't make overtime, the, those people. Yeah, that really concerns me. That's but more for that another day. Um, I will ask yep. you, though, um, what has been accomplished so far since you have arrived? Because I know when you got here, you immediately had to sit down and get right into it. Sure. And even before I actually got the job, I mean, the biggest thing that I've been trying to work on in, in the entire time I've been uh, here in Minneapolis is to get around as much as possible, to meet as many people in community, to be present to go to various houses of worship and meet people and just kind of listen to people's concerns to understand what people's experiences have been and what, what they would like to see going forward. Since I've been able uh, to take the office and become a sworn law enforcement officer, that adds a different dimension to it. Now I'm able to be present uh, with rank and file and with supervisors in the police department and kind of get under the hood and see how the police department is actually uh, operating and try and identify uh, gaps between where we are today versus where we want to be. So it's been a lot of listening and learning, I think, uh, is, is the best way to describe it. And listening is absolutely key, sir, absolutely key. And as we wrap up this conversation, I do want to ask whether or not, I know in every state, in every city, um, there are Minneapolis police departments sometimes change the way um, applicants may um, be able to be chosen. For example, some cities say you have to have a bachelor's degree in order to be a police officer. So what type of changes are we looking at? Are we still looking at that where people have to have a bachelor's degree? Well, well, yeah. So what I have learned since I have been here, uh, to me, it is very difficult uh, for young people from, from the city to become police officers. And I think uh, the, the, the vast majority of the reason why is because of, uh, you know, uh, mandatory requirements that are in place by the state. So it is very important for me to try and do everything I can to remove barriers for young people from the city to become police officers. So that's something that I I have just started to look at very intentionally. Uh, I will do everything to change everything I can do. That's a city policy, but we're also going to be looking at to, uh, you know, what exactly the state requirements are and whether or not that's something that is actually necessary and, and actually results in, you know, the values and the people that the residents here want to see. The residents here want good policing. That's the bottom line. 
Yeah, better than good, absolutely, sir. Better than good. This is my final question, sir. Um, what will the young people be offered? Because the one problem I I've been here forty four years, and in my forty four mm. years, I have watched the decline of these young people. They have nothing to do. You don't have a lot of basketball courts. You don't have a lot of sports right. outdoors during the summer, and a lot of right. them get into trouble. And I'm wondering about right. that um, uh, because the community, the youth in the community, need as much as what the police officers need, as much as what the residents yeah. need. And so, how do we? How do you see the next step for the youth, especially for 2023 and 2024. Yeah. Well, the one thing I think is in common between the community uh, and particularly young people, as well as the police officers, is everyone here has experienced a whole lot of trauma over the last two or three years. Um, and I think we have to be very intentional about addressing that. Um, you know, and it, you know, a terrible consequence of things that happen here and reduced staffing is sort of as the police department gets smaller, it, it sort of went back to almost becoming a fire department. And by that, I mean, simply only responding to things after the fact. And that's something that we cannot do. We have to be very proactive and intentional about community engagement. So one of the things that went away that I'm, I'm very happy uh, is coming back now uh, is the Police Activities League, because I think it's very important uh, if we're serious about changing perceptions, particularly among young people, about the police department in the city, we have to ensure that we are engaging with young people and, and providing a space for them to, to develop relationships with officers. That is not a law enforcement space. If the only time a kid in the city gets to see a cop is when something bad happens, that's not going to change anything. That's going to reinforce all of those negative things that we don't want to see. And that's going to that's gonna help that young person never even consider, you know, being a part of the change that we want to see. So I think we have to be very intentional uh, about engagement. We have to get back into PAL. We have to get back into youth uh, engagement and programs because we have to do, uh, we have to be very proactive about trying to change those perceptions and have young people from the city want to be a part of doing things differently here. Minneapolis Police Chief Brian O'Hara, thank you so much for joining us tonight, and I hope those final words are absolutely going to be put into place. I will be watching mm -hmm. and listening, and I hope you will join me again. Thank you, Ms. Jordan. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.